Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I'm your host of the Gut Check Project, Eric Rieger, here with my other host, Dr. Kenneth Brown. Ken, who's here with us today? Oh, my goodness. We have a fantastic guest today. We have Dr. Joseph Varon, professor of medicine at the University of Houston, and he is the president of Dorrington Medical Associates. He is also an avid researcher with well over 830 peer-reviewed journals to his name, and this is very exciting. He actually has two syndromes named after him. He discovered the association of hyponatremia due to extreme exercise syndrome known as Varon Ayus. Mm-hmm. Ayus, am I pronouncing that right? That's correct. Syndrome, and he co-described the healthcare provider anxiety syndrome known as the Boston Varon syndrome, which I now know I have Boston Varon syndrome. <laughs> so um, he is actually a world leader for his work in COVID-19 and his co-development of the Math Plus protocol to care for these patients. And he has actually won multiple awards, including a proclamation by the mayor of the city of Houston, Dr. Joseph Varonde. And here's the really impressive stuff. He speaks English, Hebrew, Portuguese, French, Yiddish, Greek, and Latin, and is an avid collector of fountain pens. Welcome to the show, Dr. Varon. <laughs> Well, he did find a lot of things about me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Verone, uh, I've got to uh, say we're here at the FLCCC conference. What is your association with them? I know that you had the uh, uh, the Math Plus protocol, but kind of tell us what brought you into the fold. And, and well, I mean, else. I, I started with the FLCCC at the very beginning. I mean, I'm one of the co-founders of the FLCCC. I've been friends with Dr. Paul Marik for over 29 years. Uh, we have been buddy-buddy, you know, every time we get in, trouble with a patient, we call each other to, hey, what do you think about this? I mean, always asking for, for help. And that's exactly how FLCCC started. A group of uh, people that did not know how to treat an unknown illness that started to call one to the other. So I called Paul. I said, hey, Paul, how are we going to treat these patients? And I have been a very good follower of a lot of the things that Paul had done, you know, his use of vitamin C, uh, his HAT protocol. I mean, I had been doing it for many, many years. So we said, well, why don't we try this? Then at some point in time, we said, well, you know, maybe we should try, try to use some cortisone, some steroids for, for these patients. And Paul says, well, let's track down the world expert on corticosteroids, Dr. Meduri. Mm. And that's how one afternoon, you know, we start Zooming, and then we start Zooming on a regular basis, and then we said, you know, this is becoming something that we can do. Let's, let's form some kind of a group, alliance, and, and start telling people how we think this illness needs to be cared for. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, at that time, we start having some pushback. So what, what time of, of 2020 is oh, this? Oh, we're talking about early 2020. We're talking about March. Um, wow. Very so, early. Very early. So by April of 2020, I'm already starting to use our protocol. Uh-huh. Where, you know, we put in this protocol. Yes, we have made some changes. We tried everything. We tried absolutely everything that you can think about. We tried it because people were dying. So we try uh, the, the Math Plus protocol, which, you know, coming up with a name also becomes a big, a big deal because you want to choose a name of a protocol that is short, uh, people can memorize easily, uh, and that includes the elements of, of what we use. So we start the protocol, and I start treating hundreds of patients. I mean, it's one after the other after the other. And to our surprise, the mortality rate of a hospital where I'm working at the time is the lowest in the nation. Whoa. Utilizing this protocol. Okay. 
Of course, you look at what's going on outside and our uh, other colleagues elsewhere, they keep on thinking that we're crazy. Uh, at the very beginning, they told us that we were crazy because we were giving cortisone steroids to uh, patients with, with COVID. Uh, they said, that's crazy. You guys are going to make things worse, stuff like that. It's like, no, I mean, this is a steroid, a cortisone-responsive illness. Mm -hmm. So we did this, and we continue to be, to be part of this uh, group that grew and grew and grew and grew and grew uh, to the point that eventually became a, an official entity. We became a 501c3 corporation so that we could get people to help the alliance. And at the same time, the alliance would help the rest of the world. I cannot tell you the number or the, the humongous number of people that survived COVID because of these outcast people were uh, doing. The outcast, but yes. everybody that you mentioned is, I just gave your bio there. You mm -hmm. are one of the more accomplished publishers. You have, you're a, a, like one of the premier ICU people in your field. These other people, I think it's hilarious that suddenly you take the best in the country communicating with each other and they're being referred to as outcasts. Correct, and you know, and, and that's where, where I call it the prosecution starts coming in, you know. Uh, academic affiliations not, not starting to be uh, retrieved from, from some of us. Uh, licensing boards going after some of us. Uh, uh, hospitals going after some others. I mean, it, is, it was really sad because people were dying. And what most people do not recognize is that we were the only ones out there on the front lines, fighting to save these patients. For example, in my hospital, uh, there was one other doctor and me that were working in our COVID unit. Nobody else would step a foot on that unit because wow. if you call for a cardiology consult, good luck, because no cardiologist would come in to see the patient Just out in of the fear. COVID. Out of fear. Wow. No, no. I mean, so it was, it was, uh, it was amazing and mind blowing how you know the people that are doing the work, the people that are right there are being criticized by their peers, sometimes by the public, sometimes saying that we are doing experimental things. We're not doing nothing experimental. You know, we're using drugs that are FDA approved. We're not using any hocus pocus things. No, we're using things that have been out there for decades that work. So it, it, it becomes really a, the core of COVID. It becomes a political fight, not a fight against the illness. And some of us were extremely vocal. I mean, I appeared in, uh, as of today, I have appeared in 3,500 television interviews. Ooh. So that you get an idea. That's since March of 2020. Sometimes doing four or five a day. Uh, and uh, I was very open with the media. I said, media, come to my hospital. Uh, after getting permission from the hospital and all that stuff, we had the media follow us and we... Look, this is what we're doing. Interestingly enough, what we were doing at the time, let's say that you are a media from a big uh, company. You come mm -hmm. in. I show you what we're doing. I show you the results. I tell you everything about the Math Plus protocol. The news comes out, and they talk about, you know, the people, the whatever. No mention of the Math Plus protocol. No mm. mention. I mean, at some point in time, I was interviewed by uh, one uh, young woman, Ivory Hecker, uh, Ivory was with uh, one of the big chains, 
And she did a beautiful story on our use of ivermectin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would not let her uh, talk about it. They would not let her put her story out there to the point that Ivory Hacker resigned on the air. What? On the air because she says, look, I'm resigning because of this. Now she has her own podcast, her own, her. Her own thing. I mean, she went independent and uh, it was very sad. I mean, to see how controlling the media was as far as the information that was able to be uh, given out. So you also made headlines uh, during this fight, you know, starting, I'm sure, uh, in early 2020, and then it was 700 and how many days later that yeah, uh, you so, finally had a day off, correct? So I worked continuously without a single day off for 715 days. Not even when I was an intern, I worked that hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, and people would say, how can you do it? I mean, nobody, it, it just doesn't, people think that, that you lie when you say that. It's like, I have to. I, I could not get sick because nobody was caring for these patients. And the hospital where I work is a hospital that takes care of uh, uh, minorities, uh, communities of color, uh, people that really need the help. We had a lot of illegal uh, aliens that were coming in. And, you know, they would come in two or three weeks into their illness because they were so scared that, they were going to be deported or stuff like that, that they would avoid going to a hospital wow. until they were literally near death. So somebody had to take care of, of those patients. I eventually took a break to go and marry one, one, one of my kids that needed to get married, and if I didn't go, that was going to be really <laughs> bad. <laughs> so how was, your, how was your hospital administration staff with your approach? Were they supportive? Were they ambivalent? Uh, the, the hospital was uh, nice to me. I mean, they, Good. they basically saw that we were pulling in patients from all over the world, not only the, the state, the world. People were coming in to the point that at some point in time, the U.S. military had to come in to the hospital to, to give us a hand because we were swamped. I had 88 patients at one time. In the ICU? In the ICU. No. Yeah. We, all right. So we turned, what we did is we turned this small community hospital into an all-hospital ICU. It became a giant ICU. So we had 117 ICU beds. Wow. What? On a 117-bed hospital. <laughs> so every bed was uh, transformed to become an ICU. Every single this bed. This is insane. For anybody that insane. understands the level of care that an ICU doctor provides, when I rotated mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. ICU, you're assigned two, three patients oh, yeah. tops because it took all day to monitor everything. That is insane how many people you're taking care of. It, it was unbelievable. You know, I had uh, a bunch of uh, assistants helping me mostly with notes and stuff like that. Uh, doing, uh, I had a lot of uh, medical students uh, helping out with the paperwork, which was a, the, the tough part. And I have a, a very good group of nurses. I mean, but the nurses, you would see them in the middle of the day, they would start crying. Because yeah. they would see one patient dying and then another one dying. Sometimes we would have two cardiac arrests at the same time. And, you know, which one do you run to? I mean, it was, it was hell. People don't understand what we went through. So when I look at this thing, I said, look, guys, we've been through hell. And now you guys are coming after us because you don't like our approach or because you have another political agenda or because you like uh, Big Pharma. Or, I mean, come on, give us a break. What, did you find other people in Houston, other physicians, 
that may not have been affiliated with mm -hmm. your hospital, but reaching out for advice on what they could do in their local area also? Every day. Okay. And it's funny because even those people, when their family members got sick, they would send them to us, not to their own hospital. That was the, the interesting thing. Politicians, they would come to us. They wouldn't send them to, the, to, to other people. I would have people that came in from the fanciest hospitals in the U.S. Mm -hmm. being flown in to the little inner hospital uh, place where, you know, 99% of the patients are uninsured and it's in a bad <laughs> part of town. They would come <clears throat> to us because of our success with what we were doing. So we were doing something right. There is no question about it. And that really pissed off a lot of people. What about, and out of curiosity, I think it was in 2021, there was another hospital system in Houston that was kind of ostracizing one physician who made a lot of uh, mm -hmm. news. I think her name is Mary Bowden. Mary Bowden. Did she happen to reach out to you also? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've known Mary. Mary's, she's a good doctor. She's outspoken. She, you know, she is a... Uh, she has a fantastic uh, practice. What type of doctor is she? She's an ENT doctor, but uh, also, like most of us, by default, became a COVIDologist. Wow. Because, you know, she was one of those people that were out there uh, helping. And Mary is uh, well-trained, Stanford-trained, I mean, well-educated, and uh, she just had a, 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 her own point of view regarding vaccination, which I respect. I think, you know, we are in the U.S., freedom of choice, freedom of speech, simple as that. So her option was uh, not to get vaccinated, and she had some issues with one of the big hospitals in Houston. Wow. This is, I did not realize that you were tip of the spear on this thing, and mm -hmm. people were flying into your community mm -hmm. hospital, which traditionally, like you said, mm -hmm. was more of an indigent type yeah. hospital. Mm -hmm. So most of, if you're over there, most of your career has been giving back to the community, has but been... Absolutely. But, and but, so, but that's medicine. I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You give back to the community. You are supposed to be helping people. So you also mentioned, like when we were talking before this, that you did get singled out and they did try to persecute you. Can you tell me like how that actually, like what happened with that? I mean, the, 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 the most important part is usually when you start getting, you know, the threats. The, I, I had death threats in my office. Death threats. My office will get death threats that says tomorrow he will not be rounding because we're going to kill him. Wow. And it's funny because at the time, you know, I, I got to meet the chief of the police. I met, got to meet all the, 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 the VIPs in, 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 in the city. So one day I remember I called the former chief of police in Houston and I said, hey, Art, uh, I have a problem. She says, what's going on, Joe? Well, I just got a bunch of death threats. <laughs> and the guy says, welcome to the club. It's like, aren't you going to like send somebody or try these calls? <laughs> or I mean, I... And he says, well, you know, these things happen, especially when you are on the, on the public view and people are seeing that you are doing things. This is very common. I mean, he educated me a lot on this, but it was scary. Yeah. My wife says, should, should we be going to visit the office or uh, do you need to have some kind of protection? I mean, what the hell? And all you're doing is working 700 days in a row. Yeah. Treating 80 people that nobody else will treat and having some of the highest success in the entire country. What in the world is going on that somebody like you, a hero, a champion, is getting death threats? I wish, you know, I wish I knew. I wish I knew what's going on through the head of people that are doing this. Because on the one hand, you have that. On the other hand, you have all those people that actually saw you on TV and stuff like that. And you get daily uh, nice uh, letters uh, from probably some old lady that is writing you that everything you did was great. So, so you have that nice part that says, hey, we're 
some of us are looking at. But the part, the, the people are not looking at what you're doing is your own peers. I think that that's the most, the, 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 the one that hurts the most. The one where you say, what, in the, what, what have I done wrong? I mean, should I have been like most of my colleagues and says, I'm not going to the hospital because I can get sick? Man, no joke. No yeah, joke. so I was just going to ask that. So there are other critical care doctors at your hospital. Did they stand by you? Did No, that was the only one that would work. Wow. Yeah, no critical. Nobody else wanted to do what I was doing. So no where are they? One. Where are they now? How and what's the relationship? Well, with I mean, there now? were a lot of a lot of issues that that that, that occurred after that. Even the hospital uh, had a, a issues with uh, with the regulating agencies. They lost some of their accreditations. I mean, there was a lot of uh, backslash to the amazing work that we did. Don't ask me why. I mean, it was uh, unreal. It was uh, something that I was not expecting because. When you do so much work, you could expect that, you know, somebody's going to come and say, hey, you did a great job. And not when they see that you're starting to have issues with some of the regulatory agencies. They say, okay, uh, well, we don't know you. Let's just keep on doing our thing. And that's, that was very sad. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that's wild. So you, would, I, you mentioned earlier there, there were different news affiliations that would kind of scrub the math protocol mm-hmm. after they would come and visit with you. But I'm kind of curious, like the, the local news affiliates or just local coverage that they would want to champion the hospital that has historically or, or currently serving the underserved and would want to elevate that. Did, did anybody kind of reach out and still try to build that story up and it just didn't make it? I mean, they, at the beginning, they did. At the beginning, they, you know, they say how wonderful <laughs> we were and stuff like that. But when things started to go south for the hospital after, you know, once the pandemic is already almost gone, nobody, not a single news uh, agency, came in and said, oh, now let's do a story to help you guys. Yeah. No one. They were very good at uh, saying, oh, the hospital has some issues with one of the <clears throat> federal licensing uh, agencies. So it's, you know, they just go for the for what the news is. They, they, they want that Pulitzer Prize. I mean, that's what they want. But that's what they care about. They don't care about all the work that we did, all the lives that we saved. And and by default, you know, those who follow those, all the other lives that were saved elsewhere. Well, I just want to ask, when you developed the math mm. protocol mm. with your colleagues, how was that process? You said that we tried everything, we did this. Like, tell me, walk me through how you guys decided on this particular protocol. So the, the, the way it started, again, we uh, talked about what we were doing, each one of us independently. And I would get a phone call from, let's say, Paul, and Paul would say, hey, Joe, I try this, and I think this is the... He always says, I think this is going to be it. Well, you know, we would try it a few more times, that would not work. And I would do the same thing, and I'd say, hey, I try this, and I try this. And at some point in time, uh, I started... patient. Any patient that came to the emergency department with COVID, I would do a CAT scan of their chest. We would not do regular x-rays, just CAT scan. And we validated a system that would allow us to tell you how bad the CAT scan was. Mm -hmm. And on the basis of how bad the CAT scan was, I could tell you exactly how much medication to give to the patient. And uh, Mm. when when we did that, we said, wow, this this is good. So we started to come with those ranges, what to use, how to use it. Uh, But make no mistake, we have many failures. 
And that's what people need to understand. This didn't happen overnight. This was the number of phone calls, the number of Zooms that we had was unreal. So imagine you already did 20 hours of work in a day because you have 88 patients. You are running like a chicken with your head cut off. I cannot imagine. And then at the end of the day, you get home. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You are reading everything that you can on steroids or whatever on on COVID, and at six in the morning, you are already on a web uh, uh, webinar with Paul and the other outcasts, uh, <laughs> trying to come up with something to save uh, Literally people, getting chills people, thinking people, about that. Yeah. Literally, because I'm just like, oh my gosh, that is the most dedication uh, to work your ass off like that, come home, see your wife, say, you know, good night, wake up, and then hop on a Zoom and go, what are we going to do today, guys? Yeah. And everybody else on that same Zoom just worked their ass off, just oh, yeah. like you did. That's yeah. a brother of I, 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 arms. People don't understand how bad this was. Let me tell you a funny story. The, uh, the first time I came come to my home during this COVID, first time, I get to my home. My home, uh, from the garage, there are some stairs to go upstairs to the home. So I go there, and uh, my wife is waiting for me out there. And she looks at me and says, Joe, take off your clothes. I said, oh, yes. <laughs> I was happy. I said, yes. Just take off your clothes. So I said, okay. I said, here? You know, in the garage? Yeah, yeah, take off your clothes. I said, gosh, I haven't seen this for more than 30 years. So, <laughs> so, so there, you, you, there I go. I take off my clothes. Most of us have not seen garage sex yeah. for a really long time. <laughs> so I take off my clothes. And the moment I take off my clothes, my wife grabs this big trash bag and she throws it from upstairs to upstairs and says, okay, now put your clothes inside the bag, <laughs> take them to the, to the washroom. After that, go upstairs, take a shower, and then you can come and say hi. Because, <laughs> oh. I mean, that was, this, uh, think yeah. about it. I was, at the time, we didn't know too much about COVID, but people were dying. So even my own family coming into the home they were scared out of their mind that something was going to be bad. I mean, it was kind of a funny story, too. <laughs> Can you imagine getting home to pick off your clothes? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> um, are, you're still affiliated with the, with the, uh, the University um, College of Medicine, correct? Uh, yeah, I'm, I have a clinical affiliation with the University of Houston mm -hmm. uh, College of Medicine, which was interesting because I used to have other affiliations with the Houston metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. And at the time, again, all these... Uh, you know, different points of view, uh, start getting these schools to separate themselves from us uh -huh. because of how progressive, how aggressive, how maverick, if you want, we are. Uh, but the University of Houston, the, the dean of the school says, hey, Joe, you're doing a fantastic job. Would, awesome. you like, would you like to be part of our faculty? Absolutely. I mean, he, he could see through the, through everything else that, that was going on. So I kept my affiliation. Uh, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't need it because I have affiliations with a bunch of medical schools. I'm the associate dean of a medical school in the Caribbean, and I have a bunch of other things. And for me, academics is, I don't need to have a chairman to tell me how many papers he wants me to write. I write more papers than the entire Department of Medicine at most medical schools uh, because I enjoy writing. I, I enjoy educating people in one way or another. I also enjoy helping younger individuals to, to achieve their goals. So that's one of the reasons why I continue 
academia, but I do the academia mostly for the educational piece of it. And I have a very inquisitive mind. I like to try things. I just love hearing the fact that you still get to associate with them because, I mean, it's almost like that there's, there's that nice little gap there that maybe you get reached out to by mm-hmm. current medical students who are like, hey, how did this work for you? And then they begin to learn and hang on to that process of thinking through a problem. You're talking about doing the trials and some of the things may have failed, but that's, that's the process of learning them, how to care about people in new challenges. And that's medicine. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, whether you want to accept it or not, it's trial and error. And we try things. And sometimes we have to change our mind. I changed my posture on a variety of different things through the, through the pandemic. And so, as you know, and for, for, for clarity, I was the first one in Houston to get vaccinated. Yes. Mm. But at the time, you know, people were dying. We knew nothing. Now my posture on vaccinations has changed. Sure. And, uh, and, and I've learned that a lot of people have had issues with, with vaccines. And if somebody wants it, well, let me just explain what is the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then let people decide for themselves. Quick question. So we, I had, I'll just tell you a really quick clinical case. A friend mm-hmm. of mine who is a doctor um, got sick, went into the ER, and he was short of breath, and they said, you're fine, tested him for COVID, he was negative, got worse, went back, white out on the lungs, gets admitted to the ICU, they test him for COVID, it's negative, they put him on antibiotics, they do this, they test him for COVID, it's negative, they test him for COVID, it's negative, he proceeds to just keep getting worse and worse and worse, intubated the whole nine yards, and eventually, since he was a physician at the hospital, mm. I believe they did either a bronch or a VAT, where mm. they got tissue, and they got COVID from that, mm. and they gave him steroids at that mm. point, point. and what was interesting was, and then he, he actually got better after that, mm. and now he's there, but what we talked about was what saved his life was the fact that they didn't know what the diagnosis was, because my hospital had the protocol of remdesivir mm. right away. Did your hospital put any pressure on you to use remdesivir? Not at all, not whatsoever. On the contrary, and, and I will be honest, I use remdesivir. I used it at the very beginning, and my patients were not doing well on the remdesivir, so I stopped using it. Right. But I also use colchicine. I also use a variety of agents that we were trying to, to use, you know, repurpose drugs to see what, what was uh, making a difference. And uh, I never had that, that situation. Your clinical case that you were describing was something that we saw every day. I mean, it was really? very common to see somebody that was quote-unquote COVID negative. But then we realized that, you know, uh, testing had to properly be done. Sometimes you did not get, so the, the, when you do tests for COVID, you depend on the amount of COVID that is in that particular location and the operator who is doing the swab. So if it looks like COVID, smells like COVID, treat it like COVID. Pardon this brief interruption to say thank you for listening to the Gut Check Project, also known as GCP. Please give us a follow and thumbs up on Rumble and share this episode with your friends. Last but not least, you can participate in our shows directly by visiting gutcheckproject.com and clicking on the GCP Raw circle. Use code HERO for a free month. When you join GCP Raw, you can submit questions to upcoming guests, participate in monthly GCP Grand Rounds, access to exclusive deals, listen to the shows with no ads, participate in live call-ins, plus exclusive content to those that support the show. So visit gutcheckproject.com, click the GCP Raw circle, use code HERO, and your first month is free on us. Now let's get back to the show. Mm. So that was so I, that's impressive that you saw that all the time. 
I, I actually I talked to him now, and he's developed mm-hmm. long COVID, and so we were mm-hmm. working on a few things, and oh. he's actually become a huge fan of the FLCCC, oh. and is excited that we're here. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's you know the FLCCC really has brought up a lot of brilliant minds. I mean, you talk about Paul, you talk about Pierre, you talk about uh, Bean. I mean, yesterday I, I posted something on Facebook. I said, you know, the average IQ among these people is 150 or above. It's, I mean, these people are brilliant. And when we sit down, it's, <clears throat> it's so funny that we talk to each other and before the other one is already uh, answering a question, you already have three protocols developing in your mind. It's incredible. Yesterday, Bean was talking about methylene blue and, uh, and some, some interesting things. And I was already, oh, I have three patients that may use it for something that is a little different. And uh, by the time I was telling him this, we were already coming up with something. It's like amazing. <clears throat> well, Dr. Verone, I, we know that you're speaking in uh, not too long mm-hmm. from now. Uh, you want to kind of give us a preface of what it's going to be? Yes, so um, I was asked to just talk about a couple of cases today. So I decided to bring two cases. Cases, this is like the real thing. I think that people learn more when you do like a show and tell Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. than when you sit down and start going over, you know, pathways and stuff like that. So I'm I'm bringing two cases. Uh, The cases are very interesting. One case, it's a young lady who is a nurse Mm -hmm. who gets COVID and then... um, after COVID, like three, four months later, she goes through vaccination. She gets several vaccination things. After that, she develops what she thinks is long COVID. I mean, really bad long COVID. A woman that used to be dropped there gorgeous, that out of the blue, you look at her, and I'm going to show pictures with her permission, I have, of what she looks like. And you, you said, this is incredible. So... She doesn't come to see me up until December of last year. Uh, when she finally gets to me, I start, you know, I said, is this vaccine-related injury or is this long COVID? And after analyzing what's going on, I realized that she has uh, vaccine-related injury, start treating her, and within two weeks, this woman is starting to do amazing. And I am going to show images of her... Uh, Facebook post, uh, stuff like that, before and after, so that people can see. Make it very uh, personal. Uh, make it, you know, people think that what we're doing is nuts, that we are crazy. I mean, you know that. I mean, we with the FLCC, that's what they think. But when you see it, when you, when you physically see it, it's like when people were telling me, why aren't you using medication X, Y, or Z? Why would I when the ones that I'm using work when I have the lowest mortality in the country? Why am I going to be using the remdesivirs of the world when what I'm doing is doing right? It would be unethical for me to do it. What's fascinating is that you have the ability to say, I treated more, I did, it didn't work, I moved on quickly. Like your, your experience helped you to, you can, you can argue that point with anybody. I said, we looked at that, it didn't work, we moved on. Yeah, but then, you know, you argue with, with your colleagues and says, well, but, you know, but the study that was published, it's like really... You know, I'm the editor-in-chief of God knows how many journals. I know how things work. I know exactly how papers get into, into journals, and, know, and I know what buttons are pushed. But yet, people want to see a randomized clinical trial between uh, the Math Plus protocol and nothing. It's like, no, I'm not going to deprive 
50% of the patients from something that I know works. That would be unethical for me to do. Sure. Absolutely. That, <laughs> Dr. Goodyear brought this up. He's like, he's like, whenever I get challenged like that, he said, I like to ask them, uh, show me the, mm -mm. the randomized placebo controlled no. trial on randomized placebo controlled trials. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's crazy. So I'm, I'm, talk, so I'm showing that case of that girl, and then I'm showing another case of a guy that had, and you're going to like this one, he had COVID for 362 days. No, but when I'm saying he had COVID, he was COVID positive oh. for 362 days. Now, the craziness and the insanity of this is that he, before he comes to see me, he gets admitted eight times to the hospital. And what does he get treated with? Remdesivir. He received remdesivir eight times. What? Which is a definition of insanity, you know, doing yeah, the same yeah. thing over and Kidneys over again. steel. He yeah. I'm going to show actually his kidney function on the whole night. Yeah. So he comes to me. We actually treated him as an outpatient and we made him COVID negative. It's, it's incredible. 362 days. So I thought that those two cases would pretty much bring the, the, the gist of what, you know, our uh, eye care protocol, math plus protocol are all about. Wow. That is it. That is incredible. Well, Dr. Verone, thank you so much for dropping in to, uh, to hang out with us. We'll have all of your uh, contact information in the show notes. You want to tell people how to uh, connect with you if they... I mean, they can connect with me. Just if you Google me, you'll find me. If you want to reach me in any social media, it's Joe Varon, J-O-E-V-A-R-O-N. I mean, I have a few followers out there. Well, I want to thank you so much. And hearing it from you, your dedication, at one of the hardest times when nobody knew what to do, and you worked that many days, and you treated that many people, you are an inspiration. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for all that you did. Thank you all, everyone, for tuning in. Be, please, excuse me, please be sure to like and share uh, and uh, join us on Rumble and on Locals. We'll see you all next time. This concludes the free portion of the Gut Check Project. For full access to the raw interviews, just visit gutcheckproject.com. Click the GCP Raw Circle and use code HERO for a free month, plus all of the access with being a supporter of the Gut Check Project. Please share this episode with your friends, and thank you for being a part of the Gut Check Project.